How's it going, everyone? And welcome back for a March Madness edition, a, a weekend edition of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer, and the WCC uh, showed out real well on uh, Friday on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, both St. Mary's and Gonzaga came away with wins. Both of them did it in their very traditional styles of Gonzaga run, running their up-tempo offense and really getting out um, and taking advantage of really like their interior size against a an undersized G, uh, Grand Canyon team. And St. Mary's doing it the way they do, slowing it down, playing that solid defense. And we'll get into each of those games, and then pre and then we'll also preview who they have coming up um, on Sunday. Uh, so I'll start with Gonzaga and their game against Grand Canyon. They did they won 82-70, uh, the three seed against the 14 seed. And Gonzaga got off to a really hot start. Like it was, they were up seven nothing before you could really blink. Uh, they turned the they forced Grand Canyon to, I think it was like three straight turnovers, four straight turnovers, and those resulted in those seven points. They really, really got on to Grand Canyon early. But the Lopes fought back, and they got back into that game, uh, kind of mucked it up a bit, and started hitting some really tough shots. They went into halftime, uh, like really tied in there with Gonzaga. Gonzaga did make a late um, first-half push to get the game closer because at one point, uh, Grand Canyon was up like seven, eight points. So it it was starting to have the vibes of like a potential upset. Uh, but Gonzaga settled in. And got 28 from Julian Strother, 21 from Drew Timmy. Uh, they had a 39 to 25 rebounding advantage. They dominated the boards, which was kind of to be expected. Uh, Grand Canyon shot well from three point range, which is I think what we thought they needed to do. And they ended up shooting 37 percent from three, which is just a tick um, lower than their season average. Uh, but we knew like going in, like if they were going to have a chance against Gonzaga, they really needed to. Um, to shoot better than their season average. And that just did not happen. Uh, they Gonzaga did not rely too much on the three. They really drove hard to the basket. I mean, uh, Julian Strother, that floater in the lane is just near perfection. Like he, that's, that's been his bread and butter. He was great in this first game. Anton Watson, 14 and 11. You can always rely on him to come through. And, uh, and we, what we also know, especially over the last, like, month month or so like he's been so much more uh, assertive offensively and we just see how good uh watson watson can be for this team uh gonzaga did get up by 20 at one point so second half got real comfortable for gonzaga they didn't really need to sweat it out too much and it's funny because like i think there was some and myself included of like oh this could potentially be like a little bit of a WCC audition for Grand Canyon and it wasn't a bad bad showing for Grand Canyon on I mean you think about what they were able to accomplish and it's not that far off from maybe what a lot of other WCC teams might do against Gonzaga and so I don't so it's like was it a great audition like I mean is a great audition having to be Gonzaga I don't know I don't think that's has to be the case uh but they they played well. They fought back. They were in that game for a while. We know how crazy their fan base can be. Uh, so if Grand Canyon is in the cards, if Grand Canyon is potentially a a newer 
or a potential WCC team um, in the next few years. I don't think this took, I don't think this added or took away from any sort of like uh, possibility of that happening. This was just kind of like a, as is game, like the three seed beating the 14 seed as they're supposed to, unlike some other, uh, other teams who have not had so great, um, so great games against lower seeds. I mean, we've already seen a 15 seed, a 16 seed, a 13 seed win in this tournament. So, I mean, obviously the first couple of days of the tournament are always exciting. We got to see those like crazy um, um, upsets on day one. A lot of them on day one. We got the big one yes on Friday with uh, Purdue going down to uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. So all of that, all of that to be said is Gonzaga handled their business and move on to face six seed TCU who was in a dogfight with Arizona State in their first game. Uh, that one went down to the wire. They got a bucket right as time expired. Uh, they won 72-70. That game was back and forth all game long. Um, and remember, TCU is playing shorthanded. They are without their um, center, Eddie Lampkin, who has entered the transfer portal. And so this was a this was going to have to be a grittier game for TCU, and it was. Uh, they got 26 points from their point guard, Mike Miles, and he's definitely going to be a point of emphasis for Gonzaga. Uh, elite guards is where uh, they have they can struggle and where they might have a little bit of a a trouble spot. This, this feels like, this feels like maybe this is a job for like Hunter Salas, or I don't know if you try to do what, um, what the Zags did against St. Mary's and put someone like Julian Strother on, on Mike Miles. Mike Miles is, is a completely different athlete from an Aiden Mahaney. So I don't know if you go down that route, I sticking with Hunter Salas or Rashir Bolton on for that assignment seems more likely. And interestingly enough for TCU, they still had the advantage on the boards, even without Lampkin. Uh, they still out-rebounded um, Arizona State by four. Not a huge margin, but still kind of note to, something to note that even without their, their center, they were still able to uh, control the boards. And then also something to keep an eye out um, as Gonzaga goes into this is 15 second chance points is what TCU had against Arizona State. So they do they are going to be able to clean up after themselves and clean up on the glass. So this is something to just to continue to keep an eye on as they head into this one. They didn't shoot particularly well in this contest. I mean, they really didn't shoot well at all. They shot 35% from the field. Uh, and somehow escaped this game, despite the fact that Arizona State shot 48%. And, and Arizona State's a good offensive team. They're not a great offensive team. But if you're if you're allowing 48% to, to Arizona State, I'd imagine that you're going to have a harder time containing Gonzaga. And, a, and, and I mentioned this earlier in the week, uh, without Eddie Lampkin, I'm, this is going to be a much, much harder task uh, against Drew Timmy against Anton Watson. This feels like a game where Gonzaga is going to utilize its size one more time and be able to really kind of pull this one out. But you never know how explosive guards can be in this tournament, and that's usually what is the tipping point of potential upset is how are the guards doing? How are they going to 
step up into that content, step up into that role and be even greater than maybe what they've been in the past. And, and then that, of course, and that adds the pressure on the likes of Bolton, um, Nolan Hickman, and then Hunter Salas to and Malachi Smith uh, to be able to limit the opportunities on the defensive end for the TCU guard. So I don't think there's too, honestly, like this game just feels like it should be a fairly easy win for Gonzaga. I say easy. I mean, Gonzaga, you look at up and down what they've been able to accomplish so far this year. It's like they don't, they have handled essentially everyone outside of teams that are all sitting in like the top five seed lines. Like they don't, they have not lost to anybody lower than that. Um, LMU aside. And, and I just don't know if TCU is going to have enough weapons to be able to com- combat what uh, that is going to be able to do. The one thing that could actually be the saving grace is if they were able to get to the three, the free throw line and really get uh, Gonzaga into some foul trouble. We know Gonzaga is not terribly deep. Uh, they run more or less like eight players deep. Ben, if we see more of Ben Gregg than Drew Timmy in this game, I think that's going to actually play in TCU's favor. Uh, if we end up seeing, like, I think that's really like the key. I was, I was going to think about like, oh, what, well, what about if now if they get to Efton Reed? If Efton Reed somehow makes an appearance in this game, I think Gonzaga is in big trouble. Unless that is, they're up by like thirty uh, late in the second half. I mean, that's the only way we see uh, Reed enter this contest. Uh, if if, tr- if Timmy gets in early foul trouble, that could be a bad sign. Uh, if Watson, who obviously I don't expect Watson to get into foul trouble, I mean, he's such a good defender. Like he's not. If there's one guy who maybe could step into that not like the scoring role, but like a leadership role down low. If Timmy does uh, end up in foul trouble, it's going to be Watson. So I don't, I just don't see the route for TCU to knock off Gonzaga. This feels like, like a foregone conclusion. And like taking a look at the bracket initially, it was like, oh, this is Gonzaga is going to get to the sweet 16. No problem. And that's still how I feel going into this one. And their game will be the nightcap on Sunday. I believe they have a uh, 6.40 start Pacific. So they will be the, the finale of the first weekend of the tournament. Uh, and, <clears throat> and with that, we'll transition to the team who is going to be the mid-afternoon car, the game of the mid-afternoon, and that's going to be St. Mary's and UConn, which will be start at 3.10 Pacific. And this one is interesting because I feel like very much like when I talked about Gonzaga kind of being able to do their thing, St. Mary's was able to do their thing and play the way they want to in their first game against VCU. It didn't look pretty at the start. Like the St. Mary's offense really took a while to kind of get going. The, uh, the, the man-to-man defense that uh, T- uh, VCU was playing early on, I think, disrupted them a bit. Obviously, we saw a few turnovers. I think Logan Johnson ended up with like four or five turnovers or something like that on the game. And so it took Samus a while to get into the offensive rhythm. But the defense was there throughout the course of, of this one. Uh, they had a lead going into halftime. It was only a one-point lead. Uh, but this became the Alex Dukas and Mitchell Saxon games. And Dukas was 
really got them off the deck, really got them going offensively. A couple, he had a floater in the lane. He hit a, he hit a couple of buckets there, but Mitchell Saxon was everything St. Mary's needed. And that was kind of what I was thinking would happen going into this one. VCU is not a very big team. So this felt like uh, if they could utilize Saxon, he could stay out of foul trouble and be efficient down low. This was going to be how St. Mary's can win. And he, and he was everything that they needed. 17 points, seven rebounds, four assists. He had a couple really nice passes um, down low. Also had four blocks on the contest. He he did it all. Uh, this was a great game for Mitchell Saxon, especially when we saw like he had he had been struggling for the last few weeks, and this was a great sign uh, for St. Mary's going into the UConn game where we this is going to be this is going to be a real challenge um, down low. Uh, and then I think the not the surprise, but I think if there was a piece that was like so critical, it was Augustus Marshallonis, and he had to step into a larger role in this game as Aiden Mahaney went scoreless. He got into foul trouble. He really, really struggled in this one, and Marshallonis stepped in and took command of the offense. Like he he had 13 points of his own. Uh, he got to the free throw line eight times. He he really started to kind of like navigate this offense in a way I think that we, we for anyone who's been watching St. Mary's, has hoped that he would start to do. And he's really, and he's really stepped up in this one. Uh, he, he was patient. He didn't try to rush anything. He had some tough, tough shots. Uh, he, I feel like, like at the tournament, you always have like that one shot where, where it's like the end of the shot clock, whatever else. And you're just like tossing up a prayer. That was Marshall Onis, uh, uh toward the beginning of the second half. Like he hit one of those, like shot clock was running down and he got a pass from Mitchell Saxon, just had to like, almost like catch and just like release and, and hit a three really, really set bringing the momentum back to the St. Mary's side. And, and even though like, it seemed like they played their pace, they kept uh, VCU to a season low 51 points. They still struggled a bit with the press. They had a couple of times where they, they had a couple of two tenths. They had two 10 second violations in the backcourt, which this is something that happened against Gonzaga. This is something that happened against BYU and it's now happened against VCU. There's no way that this is not going to get implemented again against UConn. Like UConn is one of the other best defensive teams in the country. We talked about how good VCU was, um, especially on the adjusted defensive number. UConn's right about the same spot. So you're going to be facing two back-to-back top 20 defenses um, in this first weekend. VCU just could not get anything going. It could not get anything consistently going in the paint. St. Mary's dominated the paint for plus 14 there. Uh, they, so going in, going into Sunday, this feels like St. Mary's got to do what they wanted to do. They're almost in a very similar position as almost identical to where they were a year ago. Five seed playing the four seed and maybe an under seeded four seed. Uh, you you can make the case UCLA should have been higher than the four they were given a year ago, and a lot of people think that the four that UConn was given was way under seeding them as well. 
was listening to a few of the different uh, podcasts and just predictions on how they think this game against UConn is going to go. And no one thinks that this is going to go well for St. Mary's. No one. They think that the, the athleticism of UConn is going to cause St. Mary's too many problems. That's possible. They think that the size and physicality of UConn is going to give them fits as well. I don't, I don't buy that one nearly as much because St. Mary's is one of the better rebounding teams in the country, uh, rebounding margin, defensive rebounding. Like they, and this, they've fa faced physical teams before. They, they saw San Diego state beat San Diego state. That's a incredibly physical team. Uh, we know about the size of Gonzaga. Obviously they're not the best defensively, but, uh, it's not like they haven't seen big bodied teams that are going to be physical with them throughout the course of the year. So match up with UConn. Honestly, like, I, I mean, we talked about it. the I talked about it the other day as well. It's like this matchup did scare me. I, this one con was a little concerning on the fact that like, this was a team that was the number one team in the country at one point. There are even a lot of people still picks to win to win it all. A couple of people have picked UConn to uh, win the whole thing. Now, go hold the whole the analytics of like no one but a one seed has won the last like five years, something like that. So that would eliminate UConn from that conversation. But UConn is a is a big athletic team. Big is not so much a problem for St. Mary's. St. Mary's is a pretty sizable team themselves. Obviously, we don't run terribly deep, but size is typically not the issue. Athleticism usually is a thing that has bothered uh, these teams over the last few years. And that is something that they're going to have to combat. Uh, their center, Adama uh, Sanogo, 6'9", 245. He's going to be a load uh, for, for Mitchell Saxon to handle. Uh, he had 28 points, 13 rebounds against Iona. He averages 17 and seven. He shoots 60% from the field. And I think the key note, one of the key notes, I think going into this one is that they are one of the better off. UConn is one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the country. Eighth, uh, eighth most in the country at 13.4 a game. St. Mary's cannot let that happen. St. Mary's is so good on the defensive boards that this is where they're going to have to really uh, clean up. And they cleaned up well against uh, VCU. They did that really well. They've done that for the most part all year long. Limiting second chance points is going to be key. And it's not just from uh, Sonogo. I mentioned the two and a half uh, offensive rebounds a game, but it's also going to be uh, Donathan uh, Klingen because like, he's coming off the bench 7-2 uh, 7.2 points, 5.8 rebounds uh, in 13 minutes. Like this guy is going to put up numbers real fast coming off the bench. Uh, so this is going, again, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for Mitchell Saxon, but I think this might be a game thinking about size. And I know he hasn't played that much, but just looking at what we're going, what the St. Mary's team is going to be going up against, this screams like Harry Wessels needs to play a role. This feels like he needs to be part of the equation just for the sake that he is another big body that could at least try to keep these guys out of the lane off the offensive glass. I know like in the, uh, the title game against Gonzaga, he did not look all that great. Like he got in for a few minutes and it was not pretty. Uh, but I, it does feel like this is the moment where 
they are going to need him to step up because I get the feeling you're going to need more than one big body. Uh, I feel like this is going, you're going to need someone to relieve or be with uh, Saxon a little bit more on that front. I don't think how Bowen is going to be able to kind of switch on these guys all too well, especially when you're looking at just like the height difference. And I mean, not with Sonogo, but like definitely with Klingon, like there, there's a significant height difference there. And that's going to make a difference for a guy who's shooting 65% from the field. Also, it's keeping them all off the board. It's not even just uh, their centers. Like uh, they have, UConn has five players who are averaging four more rebounds a game. So it's keeping them off the glass, keep them off the glass. The, f- the fewer chances they can give UConn, the better. Uh, because this is where they're going to pick up a lot of their a lot of uh, their uh, points throughout the game. But that's not going to be an easy task. I say that, and it's like, this is a key. You have to do it. UConn has the second-best rebounding margin in the country. And as I'm like just like kind of like rattle off that stat, that stat, that stat, that stat, there's a reason why they're number two. But St. Mary's is number nine. So it's not like St. Mary's is that far different from UConn on the rebounding margin front. Also keep in mind, it's like just the pace of play. Like UConn is going to want to play faster. If you saw the first half of that game against Iona, it was night and day between watching the St. Mary's game and watching the UConn game. I think it was like by like the first uh, media timeout, as an example, like UConn St. Mary's was three, nothing the, or sorry, uh, St. Mary's VCU was 3-0. UConn and Iona was already at like 10-10, something like that. It's like very different paces, very different strategies in the way they're going to go about it. And the one thing we do know is that St. Mary's is very good at making teams play at their pace. They also are very good at limiting teams who love to score in bunches. Um, Gonzaga aside in that title game, like even even in that title game, you actually grand scheme of things, they scored 77. St. Mary's has not allowed any team to score more than 78 all year. And in fact, has only allowed three teams to score 70 plus. Gonzaga, LMU, and Oral Roberts. That's it. That's the list. So it's not like, I don't think that UConn's going to run away from St. Mary's in any way. I think this is go- they're going to grind this out. They're going to keep this close. And we talk about like teams who were number one in the country or whatever else that St. Mary's has already seen Houston. And they kept in that game. They ended up losing that one by five. But they clawed their way back into it. I don't think that this there is a – that any team can really like – is going to pull that far away from this St. Mary's team just because of the pace – because of the way they're going to do it, again, like you can point out the Gonzaga game, the Gonzaga game, the Gonzaga game, in a game in which everything went wrong for St. Mary's, and and that's fair. But like I also look at that as like that's the that's the outlier to what the season has been as a whole. And you can watch, and the other thing is you have to watch out for the for their playmakers, and they have a few like. Uh, UConn, you have to watch out for Jordan Hawkins. He's averaging 16 a game. Uh, he's going to get to the free throw line a lot. He had 120 attempts throughout the course of the year. Uh, Tristan Newton, kind of same thing. Uh, he he took the most free throws of anyone on the UConn team, 80% from the line, but he's also averaging 4.6 assists. Um, and then Andre Jackson also is averaging 4.3 assists. So you got a couple, you got a few different playmakers on this team. So St. Mary's is going to have to keep an eye on all these guys. There's not there's not really a weak link 
uh, to this group. And, and it's also the depth of this UConn team. That is the, the scary thing is that they're going to be able to run like eight, nine deep on this team. And they're all going to be able to score. Uh, there's even going to be a name that a lot of WCC fans are familiar with. Uh, Joey Calcantara, the uh, San, the transfer from San Diego, uh, is on this UConn team. And he's been playing great th- this year. Um, you got to watch out for him. He's shooting 45% from three. Uh, so a familiar face on an on an unfamiliar team. So it'll be interesting to kind of see like what impact he has. Um, then there's also Alex Caravan, who is a 41% three-point shooter. He's in the starting lineup, so you got to watch out for those guys. They have weapons everywhere. And St. Mary's has, used to, has seen a team that has weapons everywhere before. They obviously have played Gonzaga three times. Hasn't gone well two of the times. So there is an uphill battle. There is an uphill challenge here. But what does St. Mary's have to do to win? I talk about, like, here's all the things that UConn has of, like, they have this and this and this and this and this. What can St. Mary's do to win? I think first and foremost, it's control the boards. You have to control the glass. You have to make sh- limit the number of opportunities they have for uh, second chance points. I think that's first and foremost. So this is going to be this is going to be Mitchell Saxon. It's going to be uh, Kyle Bowen. This is going to be Logan Johnson. Like he had ten uh, rebounds against VCU. So re- everyone is going to need to contribute on that front. You got to shoot the three better than you have the last few games. You were three for seventeen against VCU. That's not going to cut it against UConn. Uh, UConn is only letting teams shoot thirty percent from three against them so far this season. So it's not going to they, – they're very good about chasing guys off the three-point line. So you either got to, like, open up spots, which it does seem like St. Mary's typically is able to do. They'll find the open three-point shooter. But you got to knock it down. You got to knock it down more consistently than you have over the last few weeks. We need – it can't be 20%, 30%. I think you're going to need to have it at least, like, 36 or higher uh, in this one. And in this one, uh, this you're going to need Logan Johnson, Aiden Mahaney, I think, more than you did in this first game against VCU. Obviously, uh, getting zero from Mahaney and still winning a game is great. Like, that's not what you typically expect, but that's not what you expect ever. Not typically expect. You don't ever expect that. But they're going to have to get something out of him. He's going to have to come through in this one. Um, maybe there was some first game jitters. It seemed like he was, he was a little out of sorts in that one. Obviously he committed four fouls. So there was some of that as well. That can't happen against UConn. If they're going to pull an upset, they need more out of him. They need more out of Logan Johnson offensively. I think we need to see kind of like the Logan Johnson we saw toward the end of WCC play. I don't, he doesn't need to score like 24 a game, but like if he's in the, like the, like the 15 to 18 range, I think that's where they need him to be. Um, they need Kyle Bowen to, con- not only on the defensive end, but on the offensive end. I thought he was far more aggressive against VCU, which was great to see. Um, I think they need, to, we need, they need to see more of that. And, and then off the bench, like I think we're going to need to see Marshall Onis 
have a, not the similar amount of production as we saw against VCU, but I think we're going to need to see some of that poise. Uh, he's Because if this comes down to a free throw game, he is one of their better free throw shooters, so they may need to get him onto the floor uh, in those scenarios. Uh, breaking the press is still going to be one of the keys. Like this, this had not, it got a little better against VCU, but it was, still wasn't great. Uh, they were able to get a few extra buckets out of it. So it's continue that progress, continue that you got to, that you can't be turning the ball over in that way. And then lastly, and it's always kind of like a first thing, but also overall, take care of the basketball. As Alex Jensen uh, pointed out, uh, the other day, it's almost kind of like the magic number is 10, almost for St. Mary's. When they win, they average just about 10 turnovers a game. When they lose, it's about 14. So looking at that number, thinking about that, that's it's take care of the basketball. It's be able to manage the press. I think you have to shoot the three a lot better, get to the line, and and then do, then take care of the boards. I don't think you need to dominate on the boards, but you have to limit the amount of second chance points that – uh, UConn is going to get. And I'll mention a couple of things of just like uh, what Vegas is thinking. So they open the line at three and a half in favor of UConn. No surprise there. Uh, a lot of people may think that's actually kind of small, but maybe this is the more telling sign for what we might expect to see on Sunday is the over under is one twenty eight and a half. That means they think this is going to be a low scoring game. And if it's a low scoring game, that is going to favor St. Mary's in this one. All right. With that, this is going to be this was going to be a shorter episode. Just going to quickly review all of that. So game times: St. Mary's and UConn are, is at, are at three ten p.m. and then Gonzaga and TCU are at six forty. Hopefully, we have two more wins. Hopefully, we have basketball to talk about after this week, and it will be. The Zags and the Gales both heading back to Las Vegas for the Sweet 16 at T-Mobile Arena, a place, a not a, maybe a venue, but a location in the city that both teams are very, very familiar with. All right, with that, I'll we'll wrap it up and get out of here. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Uh, be sure to like and share it on all of your favorite uh, streaming services. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Post by Zach, also on TikTok at Post by Zach. Um, and until next time, uh, stay safe out there. Uh, and hopefully WCC can bring back uh, two, two more wins. Catch you later.